Welcome to the Lemon Spark Podcast, where we share stories about lemons that spark a new direction in life. I'm your host, Barbara Zabala. Welcome, Judith Adrian, to the Lemon Spark Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Everyone, I'd like to introduce you to author Judith Adrian. She is the author of numerous books, the latest of which is Nancer the Dancer, which she'll be talking about. Judith lives in the Madison, Wisconsin area, and she taught at Edgewood College for 25 years and has written a number of books. And one of the books she'll be talking about today, again, is Nancer the Dancer. And from that book, she has created some coping mechanisms for people who are living through a lemon right now. So because our intended audience are people who are living through life's lemons, I thought Judith's advice and tips would be very, very helpful. So welcome, Judith, and tell us about Nancer the Dancer and how you got to write that book. Okay, thanks, Barbara. And I'm so delighted to be able to talk about Nancer the Dancer, who was my sister. My parents called her Nancer the Dancer. She was the middle child and the most active and creative and innovative of all of us. She had a she got a disease when she was in her 40s that she fought for 20 years. So a chronic disease. It was called dermatopolymyositis. Um, dermato meaning skin involvement poly meaning many sites, and myositis is muscle degenerative. So it's an autoimmune disease, a mean disease. And Nancy was drop dead beautiful, but the disease attacked her body and her spirit. And she just had to develop wonderful, quite wonderful coping skills. One of the things she said was that there are many ways to be crippled and some of them are physical, which hmm. I think is a very excellent point. So what she, she got did, this disease and when she was in her 40s? She did. Okay. Yep. And fought wow. it for 20 years. At one point, her doctor said she wasn't sure what else to do because she'd never had anyone that had survived as long as Nancy had. And I think part of that is because Nancy just had these marvelous approaches for dealing with a chronic illness. Attitude. She was all about attitude. So how you keep humor and creativity front and center. Um, she also used a smattering of profanity just for fun, you know, <laughs> to keep her going. So you believe these strategies that helped your sister live with this chronic condition for 20 years can help others who right now are experiencing their own lemon, whatever it might be. Yes, without, without question, I believe that. Some of the things that she talked about, I use as well. So the first one I'll talk about is she says that she kept calmness at the core of who she was. And she talked about how if, you're, if you don't have a stable base of some kind, whether it's family or belief system or whatever, it's very hard to spring from terror. If you're frightened, you, know, you, don't, you don't have some place to push off of. And I liked that idea, keeping a stable family or work or whatever in your life that you can. She also developed a, a, a word, an idiosyncratic core word that would define who she was. And it's a thing for all of us to think about. You know, what is that one word that describes who we are? And for Nancy, it was lovable. She was a lovable person. And she kept that in, for, in the front. And as I said, she had been a, a very beautiful young woman, but with steroids and so forth, it took 
a toll on beauty, but she maintained lovableness, that piece of who she was. Um, she liked to have emotional releases. So she, she lived in Kansas and she would go to the Sonic. I don't know if you know Sonic or not. It's kind of like a McDonald's or- Oh, Sonic the restaurant. Sonic the restaurant. Yes, she'd go to yes. Sonic and she'd buy tater tots, which probably weren't good for her, but that's what she liked. And then she said she would get in her car and drive into the country, eat her tater tots and just scream, scream as loudly as she could all alone in the car, nobody around, just as a way to let the pain and the sadness out. Her favorite food by her side. <laughs> Another strategy. She also did wonderful things with humor. So this disease, which as I have pointed out, was quite mean. She decided to name it Reuben and <laughs> she did that to separate the disease from herself. She was not Reuben. It was something else. That's really smart. I mean, to basically take away the disease defining you by giving it a name separate and apart from yep. you yourself. Yep. So she was not Reuben. Barbara, may I read a passage? It's about four sections long about Reuben. I'd love to hear it. Okay. Okay. I wanted to check in with you first. So Nancy created an effigy of Reuben using the most vile things imaginable and obtainable. This effigy dude was fashioned from some of my hair lost because of the nasty life-saving drugs that was on. Hair that had gotten caught in that gunk that clogs the shower drain. I placed that muck on a cardboard humanesque figure about eight inches tall and let it dry. And then I sealed him with varnish. During my bad times, I admit to torturing Reuben. It only felt fitting since he was torturing me. He did not get to define me. Not happening. This Reuben effigy had some bad moments. He did get to keep his head and the stump of his right leg. His ears were gone. He still had eyes. I once took a safety pin and put it in his knee because my knee was hurting. And I left it open so it would hurt him even more. I imagined breaking off Reuben's shoulder like he would a turkey leg. I took some scissors and cut the tendon. Bit by bit, I envisioned killing the disease by slaying Reuben. Later, I took him down from a dark hiding place. I told him jokes. When he let his guard down, thinking we were friends, I reached in and stole his sense of humor, which is the most important characteristic needed to survive chronic illness. Without it, Reuben would have had trouble continuing his attack on my body. Then I told him he needed to meditate for two days to get his humor back. But I didn't let him know that it was another one of my tricks. I wouldn't restore his humor when the two days were gone. At that point, I planned to reach in and steal his soul. So just the cleverness, the, the humor, the ways she dealt with things impressed me at the time. It sounds like it impressed the medical professionals too, because she lived with this disease much longer than statistically others have? Absolutely. About 20 years longer, 15 wow. years longer. Yeah. So another thing she did was because the, the disease was attacking muscles all over her body, she said that she decided she would sit down and design a new body piece by piece. So she took the working parts and she's just sort of imagined getting a better arm or a better foot or something. And then she hoped that the skin would all match when she got done. So again, bringing humor into what she's doing to survive here. Did she work while she had this illness? Early on, she did. It 
developed into something that wouldn't allow her to work much. After she was unable to work, she continued to use humor and uh, find ways to cope with with this disease. Uh, I, I was just curious to know who was able to witness this, what sounds like an incredible <laughs> and funny way of coping with something that otherwise would be very sad and depressing. Her husband had to continue to work in Kansas City because it was Nancy had a pre-existing medical condition and that was before Affordable Care would allow him to switch jobs. So he was gone most of the week, but her son stayed with her. And without him, she would have had to have additional help. But for example, at one point she had to get an electric wheelchair. And so she put the cat on her lap and she got in the wheelchair and she drove around and around the house inside from room to room. And she said she would go by her son and just kind of do a wave as she went by. Just, (laughs) But you can see how she would be fun to be with even when she was dealing with this disease. Yeah. 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 And would you think this was just natural for her? Or do you think she really had to work, you know, consciously work at being funny because she knew this was a way to get through what she was dealing with? I would say yes and yes. And I'm holding up the cover of the book here so you can see again. There's a water tower on the cover of the book. Um, Nancy was a very spirited, lively, engaged young woman. And she actually climbed that water tower at one point. And then she got up there and thought she wouldn't get down. So she wrote her name on the water tower instead of a swear word, like (laughs) most kids would do. Right. (laughs) It's just that same spunk that was part of who she was as a girl. She transformed it into dealing with this evil disease, actually. So do you think most people who are dealing with a lemon in their life right now could adopt these strategies that Nancy adopted, that it's something that they can learn? It's not Mm -hmm. an inherent ability, but something that everybody can adopt? I think so. Um, She would talk about the things that she most feared. And part of it was first hair loss, as you might from the drugs and then becoming truly crippled. So she said what she did was to say those things out loud, to find a trusted friend or family, and just talk about it. Mm -hmm. Don't dwell on the negatives. She'd look for the most positive thing, you know. um, So she would say out loud, I'm can't, I can't walk. Is is that what she'd say out loud? Mm -hmm. Or she said if, if she, She talked about sitting down on the toilet and not being able to get up. And so she would say to someone, this is happening and I need help. She would just say it right out loud. And Mm -hmm. then she wouldn't dwell on it. She'd deal with it and move on. Not, not make it, not allow the disease to be who she was. So it was about not holding it inside, but acknowledging it and Mm -hmm. uh, almost accepting it so that it doesn't consume you. Yeah, not fighting it, right, right, yeah, exactly. Another strategy she had was she decided that it would be fun to have um, boxes around in case something went wrong. So if she fell, what would happen? What would she do? And so we've spent a lot of time deciding what should be in each box. So if you have these rescue kits, there'd be one at the bottom of the stairs, 
There'd be one in the garage. You know, and what things should be in there? And we've spent a lot of time with this. And we said, well, let's see, what should be in there? Depending on where she was. If she was in the basement and had to go out through the anti-M door, because this is Kansas and, you know, a tornado, tornado might come and old yeah. Kansas houses have anti-M doors. And she said she'd rather not do that because there were lots of creatures in there that were blind and, you know, that they lived in the dark there in the anti-M door. So she'd rather not go there. But if she had to go up the stairs, then what would she need? And we decided she'd have to have chocolate in every box, you know, just in case if something really went wrong. And maybe some way to have to call out some kind of a phone. At one point, she thought if she fell by the shower, she would have to have something attractive to pull over her because of the way the disease affected her body. She said she had to be fashionable. So she'd want something with stripes that went around you know, to make her look good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we decided that, you know, those glasses that look like bug eyes? Yes. You look through them and they've got all the little things. We thought one of those should be in every box, just in case, you know, you needed a little humor while you're lying there and so forth. But just creating that mentally and having fun playing with the family. What would we do if? And it's also preparing the family. Right. It's making them part of it. it I, that's really kind of a genius idea. Were you part of these b- box building? Of course. Ever? I, I suggested chocolate. And I also suggested that we put a pen and paper in each one in case she wanted to journal while she was lying there waiting for help. Uh, I assume this was in the days before cell phones, maybe? Just before. So they had those emergency buttons. Mm -hmm. Nancy said that that was probably a good thing because she hated it so much it had to be right. What are some other strategies that she took on? One of them um, was the way her husband helped her in her life. So another very brief reading, this is the time when there were video stores still in existence. Mm -hmm, Like Blockbuster. Yep. So Nancy said one time they were at an actual video store and they went to the back of the store and she said she suddenly felt kind of weak. And she said to, to her husband, I don't think I can walk out of the store. And she said he, without blinking, he put his arm around her and he hooked his fingers through the belt loops on her jeans and they walked out like a young couple in love. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Just the kind of tenderness and awareness that he gave her through the disease. So having someone like that in your world, too. And part of it, because she approached the disease so positively, people would help her. People would come to her. Yeah, I, I imagine, you know, that that's having a more positive attitude. As you said, she was all about attitude. She that- was that that makes it easier for people to help. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and to want to, yeah. She said that lowering the bar was something that she worked with a psychologist for a while. And the psychologist said, if things aren't going well and you can't deal with it, just change your expectations. So don't hold the bar really high, but just lower it some, and then you're meeting your expectations. No one says you have to hold that bar at the level you were. Just deny it. Just say that's I'm changing that now. Yeah, you are the master of you are. your own destiny, your own perspective. And as I say in, in my book, Entrepreneurship, you're the one who defines success. 
just like you're the one in Nancy's case who defines where the bar is and what you want to uh, accomplish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now she also talked about letting go of control. So sometimes just be with a trusted person, take a break and let someone else take over. Just give yourself to them, not permanently, but in the interim. So you're not struggling. There, it, she just did a very, very good job of coping. Well, and then it inspired you to write a book about it. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Nancer the Dancer, you published that, you said, last year? Just as COVID came out, so about March of this last year. The full title is Nancer the Dancer, which was my parents' name for her, and then a colon, myositis, and me. So a little bit about the disease as well. And when did you lose your sister? 2006. Obviously, it was quite impactful for you to write a book about it almost 15 years later. Right. I had saved for whatever reason, I guess because I needed to, the emails that she sent me through the years. And the book is a compilation of maybe 20 or 25 of those emails. So it comes from her voice, which is fun, too. Oh, well, good for you for say, saving I all. guess. Yes, yes. <laughs> savable. So if people want to learn more about you, uh, your your other books, and, of course, Nancer the Dancer, my, Mitosis and Me, how can they find you and learn more about maybe buying the books? Yeah, yeah, I would, I would love that. And I, I've met with a couple of book clubs here in the Madison area too. And that's a, because of the way the book progresses, that's an interesting uh, venue for, for book clubs. To get to me, I have a website. Um, it's judithadrian.com, all one word. So J-U-D-I-T-H-A-D-R-I-A-N, judithadrian.com. And there are four books are listed there. The other thing I've been doing for the last two years is co-writing with people who want to do their own memoirs. And we're having a delightful time with that. Oh, so people who maybe aren't writers themselves, but they want to write a memoir about their life or maybe someone else in their life. Mm -hmm. You help with that process. Yep. Yep. I discovered partway through my books and including the one on Nancy, that what I was doing was recording people's lives, stories that would otherwise be lost. So not the famous people in the world, not the ones in the top of the echelon, but just ordinary people and what their lives had been like. And that's partly what's going on with these co-writers as well. Well, I celebrate that because I often think, you know, it's, it's tragic that we only hear about famous people and their life's story. There are fascinating, powerful, impactful stories all around us from people who are our next door neighbors or just are in the same vicinity as us and who may not, you know, be on television or the radio or (laughs) anywhere else. But that doesn't mean we can't learn from them. That doesn't mean we can't treasure their their lives and their stories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Hopefully okay. that's what we're doing with Nancy. I hope so. And thank you for trying to continue that mission and getting other people's stories out there with your work as a co-writer. Yes, yes. They're, they're fascinating stories. So judithadrian.com is how people can 
reach you and learn more about your books, including Nancer the Dancer, and as well as your co-author memoir projects or yep, yep, yep. and work. So All of the above. Well, wonderful. Thank you so much, Judith, for being on the podcast today and sharing the story of your sister and continuing telling others those important stories. Thank you, Barbara. This has been a great opportunity. I love talking about Nancy. Thank you for listening to the Lemon Spark podcast. If you or someone you know has a Lemon Spark story, please contact us at lemonspark.com. And follow Lemon Spark on Facebook for more hope and inspiration. And remember, it's not the lemon that defines you, it's the spark.